decoded. Welcome to Founder Tech Decoded. I'm delighted on this episode to be talking to Amrit Sami from Simvan Capital. I really wanted to talk to Amrit because he works for a dedicated SEIS fund that is super focused on the early stage space due to the nature of SEIS being up to the first £150,000 of capital. Um, Simvan have been around for a while as real experts and dedicated um, in this SEIS space. And Amrit recently joined them and therefore has a first-hand account of seeing early-stage founders present, pitch, and ask for that amount of capital. In the founder tech space, that initial tranche is absolutely vital. A lot of what this sector is about is about using less capital to achieve more, to celebrate founders who demonstrate that they are the right founder to fix that problem at that time, using and requiring not the minimum amount of investment, but the right amount of investment to demonstrate that capacity um, and those skills and market insights. So talking to Amrit gives us a first-hand account considering his week consists of seeing that type of founder requesting that type of capital and therefore we get a chance to peer into what it's like to evaluate those types of founders and to explore the emergence of founder tech particularly around the tools that those founders are using to demonstrate how they apply use and I guess best execute on that kind of initial sum of early stage venture. So Amrit, welcome to the Founder Tech Decoded podcast. It's great to have you on. Hi Dan, thanks for having me on. Really, really appreciate it. So do you want to maybe, uh, most people listening to this will obviously understand what SCIS uh, is and SCIS investing is, but do you maybe want to just kind of give your definition just so just so we start the conversation understanding that term. Um, and I should say, obviously, I know Simban invests beyond SEIS into EIS, and we can get to that. But let's just focus on that for our conversation. Um, and yes, yeah, if you can kind of use your your definition of that, uh, both from a kind of financial point of view, but how you see that capital being best used would be great. Sure. So SEIS is the seed entrepreneurial investment scheme, I think, set up close to a, almost a decade ago. And what it helps to do is sort of mitigate somewhat the downside for investors into the fund, but then um, also supporting them uh, with the upside as well. So investors are generally kind of high net worth, high net worth individuals, family offices, uh, et cetera, who get uh, an income tax relief of about 50%, a CG tax relief slash deferral of 50%, um, and get kind of loss relief. So it's an incredibly incentive scheme helping to create that flow of capital uh, back into sort of the pre-seed and kind of uh, stages. And I think the best way to sort of explain it and kind of understand the nuances of SEIS is sort of like the history of, I guess, venture in the kind of UK ecosystem. And I think it's when we look back to kind of when it was around about 2011, 2008, no one was really doing kind of pre-seed or seed investments. And so it was generally much more the, the VCs were looking at kind of series A onwards. And when you had that series A, you needed a million pound ARR. So to really get from kind of zero that stage, I think uh, was generally a kind of a really difficult journey for a few and very, very hard for people of from diverse backgrounds from different backgrounds 
have that capital uh, to get them to that stage, um, such that when kind of venture capital uh, or VC investors kind of came on the scene. And so really what it is on what SEIS is that kind of first injection of capital to help with the business of formulating the kind of product, really to kind of get into that sort of next stage of to point of uh, receiving kind of EIS funding, which is equivalent to seed funding, where they kind of have a bit of commercial traction, where they have a bit more of uh, revenue under the belt and have that commercial uh, backbone underneath them. Do you think it would be fair to say in some ways that SEIS is a piece of founder tech? Because what founder tech doesn't, isn't just kind of technology, it's also instruments, you know, that kind of help create agility and fluidity in the early stage space. And, 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 I, and I've heard it said that, you know, SEIS, whether it was intended to be so, is very innovative, you know, compared to other kind of um, countries and territories. Would you think that it, it is in a way demonstrating a piece of founder tech because it does enable this kind of very early stage investment to occur in an efficient way? Definitely. Um, again, really, it's precisely that, right? As an investor, what we care about is, especially at that stage, is there sort of that founder market fit? Does the founder have the ability, the vision and to execute a business and navigate the market to, you know, hopefully get, build a business model and build a product to then hopefully get to pre, um, product market fit. So it's definitely kind of an important slice of the pie. I mean, it's something as, as British people, we should be really proud of, right? We, I, I've met people who would absolutely jump ship from sunny Australia or lovely Israel or, or America to come to the UK because of the SEIS scheme. If we're viewing that that SEIS that 150k as best deployed, I mean, you you said the term founder market fit, as you know, Propelia talks about that about that a lot. But if that if if that capital is there to demonstrate that aspect of a founder rather than products, and actually, if you use that that um, capital efficiently, that actually you can you can you can mitigate a lot of the pre-revenue risk. Do you think founders are becoming more sophisticated in understanding that that's the conversation that you're essentially trying to have with them? Or do you think they're trying to still say, actually, I want to build an app and I need the money to do this and I need this to roll out product and scale it? Do you think they're coming to you knowing that that, that application of capital is slightly different? Yeah, it's, I find it quite weird in, in the sort of sense of you've definitely nailed on the head of what, in principle, what SEIS should have been used for, right? It's for founders to sort of run these sort of micro experiments and to reiterate a product or even design their product to kind of get to a stage of MVP. But it's sort of that navigation of it. It's not expecting to deliver an app to deliver, you know, 100K ARR or, or what have you. But I think when an investor sort of has to review their deck, it, we, we need to kind of make a decision of actually our pool is what's coming into our deal flow. And it's kind of sadly somewhat i wouldn't say a zero-sum game but your founders are constantly competing with one another and so the more progress that they can achieve or hit or certain milestones they hit whether it's you know at 150k has to build the product they apply this incredible pressure of sort of on themselves to have these overreaching milestones that they're going to hit it becomes from an investor decision a far more an attractive proposition if they can get to revenue with their 150k or not so because it helps me de-risk that proposition which is a shame because it sort of distorts what the whole principle is about. And partly as, as investors, we should accept that, right? It's it's still navigating that really early stage of the founder trying to understand 
the market really articulate the problem and being having the capacity to to pivot and we should let, let them and express them and allow them to really understand the market really really understand the nuances with it and it's that 150k of that sort of uh put your kind of toe in the water yeah so th- this has come up recently again and again so it's how you square that circle isn't it of you are pre-revenue therefore you don't have the metrics to evaluate um what a uh, you know a, 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 a startup that is generating revenue is further down that product pipeline so you can't really ev- evaluate the startup based or the founder based on those metrics however as an investor you want to get have as much comfort as possible that that founder is backable and you would like to have those metrics so so um uh gian uh sira that we both know and, and that was on the last podcast he actually sort of his way of getting it over that was actually to clarify that actually you're not asking with that a degree of capital pre-seed and even seed to sort of demonstrate product market fit you're asking them to demonstrate that they can at some point demonstrate product market fit that they have the capacity that within two to three years to be be the founder and the startup that has demonstrated um product market fit which is a nuance but it's a very important nuance but i'd love to hear your perspective on how you kind of do that circuit breaker and kind of like so everybody can get enough comfort without having to kind of go do that kind of dance with the founder where you say we're well, too early you know can you do this can these projections or can you develop this product or you know or uh, can you demonstrate customer lifetime va- um, value all of those things that we know are used to try and get comfort what's yours and Simvan's um take on that yeah, it's a really good question. And I think even when you do get that sort of initial data point, I mean, the company is involving and probably completely different week on week. And so I think they should only be used really for kind of those sort of series A later stage ones where you kind of have enough robust data to make those decisions. But for me, I think what I'm really interested in and where I sort of look at tech companies is the, te- the technological risk that we sort of invest in is relatively low in comparison to the market risk. And so how does that per- or how does that find navigate that risk? And for me, it's, okay, how can they quickly execute? Are they really listening to their customers? How many customer interviews have they had? What have they learned from it? What have, what was maybe one thing that they thought they knew, but they didn't know? It's that kind of continual listening to say, actually, I really am obsessed with kind of helping these customers and this is the product they're gonna bring. And taking that sort of evidence-based approach um, with their sort of journey is for me the most comforting bit because they might they may strike lucky with their you know their first idea but they may not and it, and it's also having that point of kind of honesty as well within that founder are they willing to have those really kind of deep thorough conversations with themselves to say hey this is probably great or this is okay but how can we make it better how can we become really obsessed with this how can we do this and it's those sorts of how questions on how uh, they're kind of interacting with their initial customers, but also the market. But then there's also the kind of how questions, which are the subsurface ones. How are they working with the co-founders? How are they hiring? How are they thinking about operations? How are they making decisions? Um, what I'm interested in is your ability to think. I, it, it's sort of, um, and that for me is sort of how we kind of address a problem and whereby it's much easier when you kind of have revenue because that's sort of your your feedback loop for it but there are also a lot of other proxies that founders should perhaps focus on a lot more uh to kind of get comfort um or to kind of help investors kind of get comfort with that so i 
that I think is for any founder, just the passage that you've just said is such a relief. So how do you get from a pitch deck that's been forwarded onto you or let's say referred to you? So it's slightly warm. You've opened it up. Mm-hmm. How do you get from that kind of that that instrument that is trying to tell you something into and it's from a quite an abstracted point of view you know even good pitch decks are you know by their very nature abstracts they're giving you an overview quickly what's the, the what can you take to us through the journey from receiving that thinking this is interesting into getting into that conversation because i think all founders particularly you know early stage seis founders want to be in that conversation and that's one of the things that founder tech is trying to simply enable is that nuance that you're talking about you know i think every founder who's who's genuinely um embedded in a problem and passionate about it has no problem being evaluated by the things you've described because they can they they understand that by demonstrating those qualities and characteristics and that capacity um you know that that they are um being evaluated fairly on their own merit at that moment Whereas I think a lot of the problem and, and the bridge to kind of cross is how do you get from that initial introduction, that kind of overview, interesting into that conversation? I'd love to hear what that bridge looks like. Yeah, it, it's it's a good, it's a really good question, and I wish I had the standard template that I could give founders and say this is what you need to do. But I think there's kind of a lot of a multifaceted approach. So it's the first one is. I've got to ask myself, why am I the best investor for you guys? And have this has this founder really thought about that? And have they thought about how I think, what I'm interested in, what I like, what I've invested in the past? Because sometimes I get decks who are B2C in entertainment, which I don't really focus on. It's not what we, what we, what, what we really focus on. So that's maybe the first hurdle. Or, you know, is it like an insurance company or an insure tech that's in B2B looking at underwriting, that's using applied AI or something fancy? And so I guess the first kind of hurdle that I see a lot of founders trip up on is know who, who the investors are um, that will be interested in your product. So to say I'm not interested in your product isn't to say your business is bad. And again, when I reject founders, which I actually hate doing, it's generally often the case is I'm not probably the best investor for you because I probably can't give you the right level of expertise that you need to make this company successful. Are probably 10 other investors uh, that are. But secondly, I think it's also important to understand what the role or what I envisage as the role uh, of a pitch deck is. It's not for, to be this 30, 40 page investment remedy that has all the information on the company and why I think it's amazing. It's really to get that first meeting with the founder, uh, with the investor. And to be able to really get that, it's to be able to, okay, I have about two minutes to review uh, the deck, much like as a recruiter would with their CV. Um, and I need to think about, okay, the things that are going on in my mind, especially in the early stages, is this a market that's really interesting? Has the founder got some amazing insight? And is the founder the best person to execute on this? Those are sort of the three kind of broad kind of uh, things that are going through my mind in this. Have, is there something really interesting about it that they thought about that I haven't seen before? Have they really understand the competitive landscape? Have they, thought of, have they missed our obvious competitors? And sort of why? And so given that I need to sort of address these questions in a short space of time, decks really need to just be one word and that's memorable. I have to be able to, you know, at the end of the deck, quite easily understand what you guys do, what your solution is, and what's one great insight that you thought about. And if I can, if I tick off all those boxes and I have that warm, fuzzy feeling, 
that hey this this deck is great and these people are probably the, are really interesting people that's worth giving me 30 45 minutes to speak my time to then i'll sort of set it up and i guess each sort of fund and and each fund is arguably going to be very difficult on what that that threshold is to have that first initial meeting but i think it's also important to i, I guess as investors what we're really interested in what we do is there's a lot of subsurface cues that we focus on how did that debt come to me did they you know uh you know asked me a friend of mine who therefore sent over their deck to me uh through another friend have they thought about trying to get into my circles have they focused on you know a certain font have they focused on the kind of infographics does it look really presentable you know once they've read the deck have they followed up with you know an email saying hey i saw the deck it looked really amazing just to reiterate why we think we're a great fit for you and why this is an amazing company it's a lot of those small interactions or, you know, when I've set up a meeting with them uh, saying, we like the debt, we'd love to set up a call. They've gone the extra mile and go, here's all the time calendar, let me know and I'll, I'll send the invite out to you. If it um, really, I, I guess as founders, and I, arguably it may have, shouldn't be, but it, you've got to make my job as easy as possible for me to say yes. Um, and that's... Uh, primarily it is understanding what my barriers are to making my decision and as opposed to my 100 other one things I meant to do and there are 100 other companies I meant to speak to. One of the things that's, that, that comes up that kind of almost like turbocharges that memorability is if the founder has created a personal brand let's just call it that and by that meaning that they they've not just got social media profile but they have been writing talking demonstrably showing expertise around their space let's say for six months up to the point where you meet them at that pitch deck i've consistently heard that that is is so super impressive and so puts that founder at the front of the pile probably because it's enabling you to to the i think you call them subsurface cues like that's a massive subsurface cue that the, that that founder is worth talking to would you agree with that that, that development of that personal authority and brand or thought leadership is really super valuable one of the smartest things you can do as a founder before you've even sent the pitch deck hugely i think it helps so much especially in the early stages where it's that kind of founder-led sales if you're a thought leader in the space people are going to look up to you and you know agree with what you're saying and more likely to sell your product and believe that you're, you're, you're sort of the best um person in that space and it, i think it helps a huge amount but then also again as, as an investor i'm trying to collect as many data points as i can and there's always that information asymmetry unlike with the public markets where there probably is, but um, to a lesser degree. And so to be able to, if I can kind of listen to some of those podcasts and go, hey, this person really knows what they really understand about ESG or underwriting or something like that, but I can also detect their body language. Are they really passionate about it as well? It really helps me kind of gain more and more conviction about this person can talk hours on end about the problem and really have to articulate really well for arguably a layman like me who doesn't who has that kind of very breadth of understanding of different markets but not that depth yeah so and what's great about that is that that's totally within if you are the right founder and you are fixing that you have that founder market fit that's totally within your own agency to do that there's so many tools and ways of doing that now that it, it's almost like you know and, and if you were curious about what, and that word comes up a lot, you know, that founder, you can demonstrably curious. There's so many avenues to, to, to demonstrate that curiosity or cultivate that curiosity that you, that, that 
that give that pitch deck that resonance, you know, in, in, in that, that gives you an unfair advantage or at least differentiates you. And again, so many, maybe, maybe a lot of founders don't do it because they aren't curious. They aren't that right person. But if they can behave like that, I think that's one thing is that, again, founder tech can pour into that because if there's so, like I said, they're, they're, those are, there are tools and communities are part of this, um, the way you connect with peers. Um, I've often said that if you could analyze someone's e email inbox for the last, say, four to eight weeks, you would have a massive insight into who that person was and how legitimate their claim was to be the right founder, just simply from analyzing their networks. So all of that, I feel like they, um, you know, kind of closing this point off, they have agency over that, right? They can control that. They can amplify that that signal for you. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, I think it definitely does help and it kind of gives comfort over with the sort of CEO role is, especially in the early stages, is they meant to kind of uh, evangelicalize kind of the business and really have to sell the business and sort of, I think, demonstrating that passion and showing that passion is kind of part of the role of sort of CEO, right? And if some people just don't feel comfortable about that and then doing that, and it's kind of the question they may need to have is, am I the right person for the CEO? Or maybe I am, but I need to get over. Or how how are we going to sort of manage the the sort of BD and kind of commercial size and the sort of visionary thinking? Yeah. Because um, some founders aren't right, and that's absolutely okay. And then some investors accept that and take it on board. And so it goes back to that point of, am I the right investor for them? So once they've through that, and you have a hundred things, and they get that forty five minutes with you. Um, what is it in that 45 minutes that again moves them onto that next node of the journey where you're like this person actually is super interesting i'm going to introduce them to some of the partners and like what's that bit look like and when it's done well yeah so i think everyone has definitely their own processes but what i think what simvin's really passionate about what we're really passionate about is about relationships and i always kind of jokingly say to founders that we may not be the fastest people to write you a check but what we prioritize most is a relationship and building that and for me, it's to say, okay, I've got this warm, fuzzy feeling starting off with about this company. How's that sort of grown? Sounds like a very broad understanding metric, but I appreciate that I've got to try and understand lots of different markets in my job because we focus on B2B SaaS, a lot of different verticals. I understand a bit, bits and bobs, but the bits that I do understand um, are kind of, you know, through my sort of research. But can you explain to me simply? And I sort of put myself in the sense of, I'm a potential customer of your company, or I'm probably maybe not the right person within the company that I need to be speaking to. Can you sort of explain to me uh, what your company is, what your business is? And then can I also see the passion behind that kind of conversation as well? Um, and so I think that that's really what really helps me to, okay, has this person really thought about that problem statement? I thought about this really solution that, you know, someone like me who, I may not have this huge depth in this sort of one area. I can understand it really well and really easily. And I can articulate it really well to my old peers or during the investment committee meeting. Can you, can you give A, B, two examples? Can you give, without mentioning the names, unless you want to, um, where you've, had, you, you've got that secondary meeting post pitch deck um, and you've got the 45 minutes in the diary. Give me an example of where it's gone just incredibly well out the gate. We were just like, wow. This, that's that's just a brilliant way to start. I now trust the person. I'm now in a much more in this nuanced conversation. Then give me some of the characteristics or examples, again, not naming names, where it's just gone terribly. Uh, and you know that as well within the opening kind of salvo. Can you give us a sense of both? Yeah, sure. So uh, 
I remember one, and actually it's sort of one we invested in. Um, it's, it, it was an incredibly deep techie sort of business, really quite difficult to understand. Um, I think what I saw the pitch deck is, okay, I understand the, the broad macro themes and it's quite interesting and the founder sounds incredibly impressive. And I think through that first conversation, we probably spent more on our sort of ambitions, our goals, our, it was a very much more deep conversation, what really motivates them, what really drives them. But then also I was like, I, you know what, I think the product sounds really interesting. Could you elaborate on a bit more? I was probably asking about 40 probably dumb questions in that meeting. And he still had the patients were going through me, trying to explain it in different ways, trying to understand my kind of pain points or issues. Um, and probably sort of that, I think it was like a 30 meeting, it went over to 45 an hour meeting. I was quite able to articulate really, really well. I had a really great feeling about them. And I think what we normally do is we always get the investment manager and the associate to join next. I was like, guys, no. And I'd said to the investment directors, guys, you need to meet him now. Is there just general, like you, you mentioned like um, an interview for a, a job. Um, there must be other things like that, like the way they present themselves. You, you mentioned body language, just human things, right? They, 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 again, is not commonly talked about in, in, in this community that the way you your comportment the way the way you carry yourself is really important important the way you turn up on time i mean i know these are silly things but they're not are they they are informing your impressions no i i totally agree and again it depends on every investor and sort of what they hold dear but for me i think time is the most valuable asset right so for you to kind of waste my time what does that kind of imply to sort of kind of show really about you if you've got a perfectly ex excusable reason and something happened absolutely fine I understand that I'm not going to hold it against you but if you just choose not to show up on time you're a bit late you know you decided to do it in a coffee shop or do it somewhere that's loud and busy and not really being excused for that then okay again it goes back to that first question am I really the right investor for you I mean I've had meetings where uh, the founder's not really looking at me. They're clearly quite interested doing some emails, for instance, on the side. Um, didn't really want to ask questions more about us. Didn't want to give a kind of quick overview. Um, kind of didn't let me finish my questions or didn't really answer my questions. And I think that that's sort of generally a cue of, you've got to bring me on this journey with you, which kind of sounds like kind of somewhat of a child, but you have to bring me on this journey with you and help me believe on your vision uh, as a founder. And if you're not willing to do that, then again, if you can't sell on me, how, how are you going to sell to, you know, hundreds of clients later down the line or, or sort of uh, people, other future investors as well? Yeah, because you're asking, you're backing that, that founder's ability to do that, you know, multiple times a day almost to communicate that. So if they can't do it in that initial meeting, I also thought well, you said something there um, was really important that, that, again, which is within your powers, that if you've done some proper research, uh, there's nothing more compelling than someone coming in and they know them knowing about a fund or, a, or the investor or what they invested in. or And again, that stuff's not that hard anymore to find and to kind of say, I really liked what you did with so-and-so or to have reached out to a founder in your portfolio. These are immediately things that aren't that difficult, but I imagine, uh, you know, the minute someone's saying that is, is immediately impressive, right? Yeah, I mean, huge. So I, I think... I remember Guillaume really kind of drilling this into me when I sort of spoke to him and sort of follow what he does. And it's, you know, sometimes founders can reach out to me and just say, hey, I just want to chat chat with you or I'll get 20, 30 minutes with you. 
had that initial point card, not feeling the need to, you know, only pitch to me. Have that initial conversation, have that initial discussions with me. This is how I think, so I'm not sure about, can I get your opinion? And start that initial point of contact way down the line before they're ready to pitch. You can build that relationship with me so that I really understand that I have a lot more time to think about uh, your company and how, and also see how you've evolved. That stuff is also really, really useful. And again, thinking about you know, fundraising, it may take, I don't know, three, two, three months, maybe for kind of the SEIS, but think about the two, three months before that, speak to your investors, reach out to them. So I'm really interested. I'd love 20 minutes of chat, I'll buy you a coffee, which, you know, in the grand scheme of things, is probably not that much, right? Uh, but you have investors and even if they can't help, they'll be more willing to share to their other investor friends. And it makes that kind of whole uh, fundraising process a lot simpler. Yeah. Um, just give us, I'm conscious of time. So I, I just give us your, what you know, your, your one or two or three no-nos, like just top three no-nos of that this is how not to do it. Um, if you could, like, you know, or, or just some things like just, I uh, literally just, you know, if you can cut that behavior out, um, even if it's like emailing you repeatedly or, you know, what, what's just stuff where you just like, just don't do that. It's just really easy to not do that. Um, have you got any of those? Before? Yeah. Um, so I think one is, uh, and I think there's a lot of sharks in the community, but, uh, one where I've had calls and the founder hasn't spoken and it's generally been a corporate financial advisory and the CFAs have sort of talked throughout the whole process. Or the brokers sort of talk throughout the whole process and the founder hasn't that to me is like a huge no-no especially in the pre-seed and seed stage yeah i want to be able to hear your ability to convict and, and reason why you're selling to them you need to be the advocate not not someone else who you're paying um second i would again think about the point of it being memorable and simplest things are generally the most memorable so don't have a, a 30 45 page pitch deck uh and then I think probably the last sort of no-no is, um, yeah, just think of it as sort of uh, a chat with an, another individual and just another human, right? I'm not anyone's amazing, glamorous, special, super, I haven't got these superpowers or whatever. Uh, I'm just another chat and, and just see it like that. It, it's just a conversation with another human being and that's how it how every investor should see it, right? There, there shouldn't be any power hierarchy between uh, founder and investor. And, and so going in with it, and it's last, probably the last bit of advice I'd give is, it's fine to make mistakes, right? <laughs> and it's absolutely fine if this investment meeting doesn't go well or whatever, but it will lead you to the next investment meeting and then the next one, the next one, that will go well, right? You'll constantly keep on learning throughout your whole process. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't, Beat, your, beat yourself up about any of it. That's all great. And I think what, what we're trying to kind of examine with Founder Tech is how we get both, because it's in, in, in it's in all good founders and good investors to kind of get rid of those pile dynamics and just get into the conversation as efficiently as possible or out of the conversation as efficiently as possible. Um, that makes it better for everyone in these early stages. So how can we re-engineer things so that happens more frequently, more accurately, and kind of with more humanity in the way that you're describing, mm -hmm. right? For that, that's really important. Everyone we talk to has wants that to be the case. Um, so as we come to a close is there anything uh, in terms of Simban that you'd like to talk you know, for founders listening to this or investors you know like what you're kind of saying that this is our 
what we're interested in going forward. This is this these are sectors that are interesting. Is there any um, anything you just want to highlight before we finish with the APIs? Yeah, sure. So again, reach out to me, right? And I'm always open for a chat, a coffee, what have you. I'm always willing to help. Um, and if if I can't help, I will own up that I say I can't help, but try and maybe put in a direct when someone can. So reach out to your founders, investors. Don't be afraid to find a cold call. Um, that's probably quite one of the bits. Um, and yeah, more than happy to kind of give an individual chat about Simvin to who, who wants to, whoever wants to hear it. If you, if you believe you're a great founder, then I should be working for your time. That's, well, that's a lovely way to finish. Um, and APIs, books, podcasts, people, influencers that are on your radar that are kind of informing your point of view. Yeah, I've, uh, I think the two books I'm sort of reading now is sort of Noise by Daniel Kahneman uh, and kind of Range by Dan, uh, David Epstein. Um, yeah, I, I think it's just really important to think about understanding, again, having that data-driven approach and really kind of quoting one of my idols like Richard Feynman about having enough evidence and always being seek to be proven wrong, everything you do. Um, but obviously having that tenacity and, and kind of persevering through, through it all. And so those are the things that are really kind of thinking about it. And really, I guess with sort of range, it, it's about understanding what are the sort of micro lessons we can sort of learn from it. And there's a sort of a, a kind of quote or reference um, kind of, I think, about Roger Federer. Um, and he played lots of different sports before he kind of went into sort of tennis. But the way I sort of see it is from the different sports, he probably picked up a lot of beneficial sort of habits or sort of micro lessons that he learned that he was able to apply to sort of tennis. And so that's how I kind of sort of think about sort of startups and founders and kind of that sort of ecosystem is what about all these random things that may seem really kind of not connected in the slightest? What lessons can we sort of learn from those and, and, and sort of plug them into sort of the VC startup world that I can you know, offer to founders, but then also founders can learn from their own business? I just want to say, like, I think, you know, having this chat with you and having be able to for people to be able to hear what, you know, obviously I'm not a founder and we're not in that kind of conversation, but to hear that this is the conversation that, investors smart investors with a point of view with experience want to have i think is hugely um so edifying i really i really do and i don't know and that really is the goal of this is to kind of try and how do you facilitate that so that happens more and more because it is better on both sides right it, it's it's the advantage of both sides if you could be having this type of conversation uh, as quickly as possible you know throughout your week and me and everybody to be understand kind of the tools that are about or mediating or value that's a better use of your time right then then the ones that you do back are you know, they're just a, a continue, continuation of that starting point. Um, so I think it's just hugely refre refreshing to hear um, hear this being talked about um, now openly rather than kind of everybody hiding behind their pitch decks and their kind of methods. And so I don't see, I don't think that's in anyone's interests anymore. Not certainly not in the SEIS in the early stage pre-seed space. So thank you for being so sort of open and honest. It's really, really great to hear and, and appreciate it. Um, yeah. No worries. My pleasure, Dan. Always happy to help.